The reading is from John 16, verses 5 to 15, and can be found on page 1084 in the Red Bibles, with Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a seat. And we're going to look at that passage that Caroline read for us. Uh, just a moment ago. Uh, and we're, if you're new to us, it's great to have you with us. Uh, we are partway through a series uh, in John's Gospel from John 13 to 17. And the title of the series is Life Together in Jesus. And I wonder if you've spent much time thinking about that word in. Life Together in Jesus. It's actually quite a key word. Uh, because what's about to happen for the disciples who are with Jesus as he's speaking these things that we're reading, uh, they're about to go, uh, go through a real change. See, for the last three years, they've had life together with Jesus. They've been walking around with him physically there. He's been teaching them and instructing them, and they've met opposition and all the rest, and he's been there to sort of get in the way and, and sort of say to the opponents, what are you doing, and all the rest of it. But there's about to be a shift because he's told them he's going away, and yet in, in, in a different sense, because his word will remain in them, and because he's going to send the Holy Spirit to live in their hearts by faith, uh, they're going to be in Jesus. But that's different to being with Jesus. And I wonder what you think if I ask you this question. Do you think it would be better to be with Jesus, or do you think it's better to be in Jesus. Which would you prefer? Which would be better? Because if you're anything like me, I'm sure at times you think, no, surely it'd be better to be with Jesus. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Walking around with him, having him, you know, sort of answer my questions when I've got them and stand up to my opponents if I get challenged and all the rest of it. And yet this passage, uh, Jesus is coming back to a topic we've seen before, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is designed to convince the disciples and therefore us it's much better to be in Jesus than with Jesus. I was thinking of an illustration uh, from popular sort of culture, to, and, and the thing I came up with was the first Star Wars movie, uh, and we've got this picture, Obi-Wan Kenobi, 
Uh, uh, sorry if you don't like Star Wars. I quite enjoy it. So, uh, and there's a scene in the film where he's fighting Darth Vader, and he says, I'm going to give you my best Alec Guinness. I'm not very good at it. You can't win, Darth. <laughs> it's not very good, is it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Um, and, and the point of the film is Obi-Wan does die, but then he sort of becomes one with the Force, and he's able to guide Luke wherever he goes, and he's even able to be there at the climactic moment of the film where Luke needs support and guidance, and Obi-Wan's there in his mind, in his heart, going, do this, do this, and, you know, wins the day. Obi-Wan says, I'm more powerful once I've gone physically, because I'm still there uh, with Luke. Now, Jesus is saying something similar, but in a much bigger way, uh, as we'll see. Uh, there's something similar that, that by going away physically, he's going to become more powerful, more effective, if you like. Uh, the work of the gospel going out will become more powerful, more effective than it was when he was here physically. And so Jesus says, it is better. In fact, in verse 7, he says, it's for your good that I go away. It's better for you that I'm not here physically. Um, now, I know some of us are visual thinkers, so I have a picture that tries to help explain what's going on in this passage. You see, the bit we read, the heart of it is verse 7. Let me read verse 7. Uh, very, verse 7 comes in two halves. So the first half, very truly I tell you, that's always a sign that this is important when Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. So the first half of that verse is, I'm going away, and that's good. Because the second half... Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So the second half is the Spirit's coming. First half, Jesus is going. That's verses 4 to 6. Second half, verses 8 to 15, the Spirit's coming. And this middle verse, verse 7, is like the hinge on which the passage turns. The subject changes from Jesus going to the Spirit coming. And that's kind of the way the passage works. And hopefully that's, if you're a visual thinker, that, that kind of helps you see. And that's the way we're going to look at it. So first, more briefly, we're going to look at Jesus is going, and then the Spirit is coming. So first then, Jesus is going. So last week, Paul uh, reminded us that uh, the disciples are going to face opposition. They're going to face hostility. And Jesus says in verse 4, um, I, I didn't tell you that from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, whilst I was here, I could help you manage that opposition. But now I'm going away, you need to know how you're going to manage it when I'm not there physically. So the stuff he said last week about um, the words that they'd be given to say and all that sort of thing, uh, Jesus says, I, I didn't tell you that before because you didn't need it. But now I'm going away, you do need to know uh, these things. But then Jesus changes track uh, a little bit. And in verse 5, he says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? That's a bit of a puzzle, because in chapter 13, that's exactly what Peter asked him. Uh, they were the exact words, where are you going? So what's going on here? I think what Jesus means is, look, you did ask, where it is. it's in the present tense, it's none of you is asking me, is, is continuing to ask me. So in other words, Peter, you asked that question a couple of hours ago, but since then, You've changed your focus. You've drifted away. You're, you've not picked up that question again. You've not said, Jesus, tell us a bit more about where you're going and, and why you're going and what it means. You've stopped asking that question, says Jesus. Rather, verse 6, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. 
Jesus is giving them a gentle rebuke. He's showing them that actually they're too wrapped up in themselves and thinking about what it might mean for them and what they might lose. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I go through a a big change in life, maybe you've gone through a change, a change of house, change of job, change of school, uh, change from school to university, something like that. Uh, Whenever you go through a big life change, all sorts of things are going to change. Are you like me in that it's very easy to spend your time dwelling on all those things that change that you're going to lose? Oh, I won't see that person anymore. I won't get to spend time doing that anymore. Well, in a sense, Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, yeah, there is a big change coming. I'm going away physically. You won't be with me physically anymore, but I'm coming in the person of the Holy Spirit to be in you. But you're thinking all about your grief. That is what you're going to lose. I'm not with you physically. But you've stopped asking what that means. Why am I going away? Where am I going? And what does that bring into your life? And so it's a gentle correction here from Jesus. Indeed, he reminds them in verse 7, look, this is all part of God's plan that's for your good. It's actually better. Okay, so Jesus is going. That's the first half. The second half, which we'll spend a bit more time on, is, but the Spirit is coming. Now, it's important to realize that this is an either-or. So, second half of verse 7, unless I go away, the advocate will not come. And at this point, I tried to think about an illustration, you know, sort of, have you seen a disaster movie and they're trying to uh, stop a, a disaster from happening? And there's usually a scene where one of the heroic types has to say, I need to get to the control room or something like that. That's the only place that I can fix this from. And I, I think there's something like that here that, that Jesus is saying, I need to go back to the Father. That's the only place from which I can send out the Spirit. I think there's something like that happening here. But in the end, we don't know why it's an either-or. We just know that it is. Jesus says, if I remain here physically, I can't send the Spirit to you. It's either-or. Unless I go away, he won't come. So, so either we have Jesus walking around with us physically, or we have the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says. Okay? And Jesus is trying to show them how much better it is to have the Holy Spirit with us in our hearts by faith than having him walking around with us physically. Now, um, maybe you were here a couple of weeks ago when, and you sort of think, this sounds a bit familiar. Yes, Jesus is returning to this topic. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Sarah uh, was showing us through the illustration of a, a, a landline phone that had a cord and a mobile phone, and said, look, it's better because of the location. The Spirit can be with all God's people everywhere, all at once, not not fixed to a location like a physical walking around flesh and blood Jesus would be. And that is true, Uh, and Jesus wants us to know that that's true. But there's another dimension why it's better that the Spirit comes. It's not just about location. It's also about amplification. I think we have a, a picture here. Um, And the idea there is there's light going in to a prism, and then it comes out amplified. Or you could think about a speaker that we have up here. Uh, Sound goes in, and it comes out amplified. And that is what the Spirit's job is. 
It's to take what Jesus has revealed and amplify it, crank it all the way up. Yes, to take it out in many different places, but, but to turn the volume up on the truth of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has said his work throughout John is like a light coming into the world. He says, I've come as a light to shine and reveal the darkness in people's hearts and to show them a better way if they will come to me. And Jesus has said, I'm like the truth. I'm the one who's going to come and show you who God is and, and what he's like. And the Spirit's job is not to do anything new. It's to carry on that work, but to crank up the volume on the truth. To, to flip the dimmer switch up on the light, so to speak, to make it shine more brightly, to ring out more clearly than it ever did before. Even the way the Spirit works is the same as Jesus. So verse 13, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, which if you know John's gospel, you know that's what Jesus said about himself back in chapter 5. I do nothing on my own. I only do what the Father tells me. And then in verse 14 and 15, the Spirit glorifies Jesus by taking from what is Jesus's and revealing it. So like a, an amplifier needs an input, sound going in before it can amplify, or a light prism needs light to come in. So the Spirit doesn't do something new on his own. No, no. He, what Jesus has fed in, the light and truth of Jesus, the Spirit takes and amplifies, spreads out into the world, makes it clearer, makes it louder. And there are two halves, two sides in this passage to what the Spirit does. Now, this is a, just to say, this is a passage about the mission of the Spirit, like his goal. Uh, there are other passages in the New Testament about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. They are the tools, the things the Spirit uses, but, but this is the reason why he gives us fruit, why he gives us gifts. Uh, the reason is to do two things, one negative, one positive. The Spirit comes into the world to show the world its error and to show the church God's truth. To show the world its error and to show the church God's truth. So verse 8, when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So the coming of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus sends him, his job will to be, be to make clearer that the world is wrong. Now, last week Paul explained that the world is opposed to the disciples. There's this clash, this conflict between the world on the one hand and Jesus and his followers on the other. The Spirit's job will be to make it clear that it is Jesus who is right and the world is wrong. In these three areas in particular, sin, righteousness, judgment. Well, what does it mean? He explains. The world is wrong about sin because people do not believe in me. How does that work? Well, in John, unbelief is like the ultimate sin. It's the primal sin, not to believe in Jesus. But, but why is that the case? Well, John's gospel and uh, the Bible in general talk about sin a lot. It, it says sin is this twisting that takes place in our hearts. Uh, this way in which we rebel and turn away from God decide not to follow his path of light and truth and follow our own path. But the Bible says that has consequences. It, it twists us out of shape individually in terms of our relationships with others, just generally in the world. Sin is, sin is the ultimate problem. It is the root cause of all other problems, the Bible says. 
It is the thing which twists us and the world out of shape because we have rejected and denied God. But right at the start of John, John the Baptist points at Jesus and says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Actually, being told that sin is your biggest problem is wonderfully liberating news. Because sin has a cure. If sin isn't your biggest problem, you first of all got to find out what your biggest problem is, and then got to find out if there's any answer to it, and there might not be. But if actually the Bible's right and our biggest problem is our sin, that's great news, because God's got a cure for that. He's got the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But if you don't believe in Jesus, what are you saying? He's not the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Either you're saying, I don't have any sin to take away, Or you're saying, no one can take away my sin. Or you're just saying, Jesus can't do it. He's like the rest of us. He's he's just trapped in sin like us. But if you say any of those things, that's unbelief in Jesus. And you're left with a situation where your problem, your sin, can't be cured, can't be dealt with. Well, what the Spirit does is it shines a light on that and says, don't you see? If you don't believe in Jesus, you're completely wrong about your sin and you're, you're left in that darkness. The Spirit reveals that. The Spirit will prove the world wrong about righteousness, which is a law court word, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. What what does that mean? How does that prove the world wrong? Well, in just a short time after Jesus says this, the world and the courtroom of the world is going to put Jesus on trial, find him guilty, sentence him to death, and put him down in the ground. That's where you belong, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to raise him from the dead, take him to his Father in heaven, and put him on the throne where he will reign in perfect righteousness forever. He's going to overturn the verdict of the world. The Spirit is going to show that the world is wrong about righteousness, about justice, because it's got Jesus all wrong. And it will prove the world wrong about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The prince of this world is John's title for the devil. Uh, The devil has been at work in the world, manipulating, twisting things out of shape, trying to gain power and influence for himself. That's the way he works. But the Bible says Jesus' death and resurrection is the defeat of the devil. It is when his power is broken, he is cast down, or as this, this verse says, condemned, judged. It is shown that he will face judgment. He is beaten. Well, how does that prove the world wrong about judgment? Well, right from the start, what's the devil been saying? Remember back to the Garden of Eden? What did he say to Adam and Eve? Yeah, take the fruit. Don't worry about it. Nothing will happen. God won't judge. There are no consequences for your actions. Well, as soon as the prince of this world, the devil, is condemned, it shows that he is wrong, and the world that has followed him is wrong about judgment too. And the Holy Spirit's job, as the gospel is preached, as he empowers the disciples and those who follow them to declare God's truth, and you see it in the book of Acts time and time again, when they declare the truth of the Spirit and what he has done, people are cut to the heart. They suddenly realize, not everybody, but he amplifies these truths and shows people that they're wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
and it draws many people to repent and believe. And that work is going on today in Manchester and all around the world. The Spirit turning up the volume, turning up the dimmer switch to show the world its error. And secondly, the job of the Spirit is to show the church God's truth. Verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, in John's gospel, the truth has a meaning. It means the truth about who Jesus is and how Jesus shows us what God is like. And so the truth that the spirit is going to lead them into is the truth about Jesus and about what God is like. It's not saying he'll lead you into the truth about biology or chemistry or anything like that. It's the truth about Jesus. You will make that truth clearer and plainer. And that makes sense given verse 14 and 15 that, that Jesus says his job's going to be revealing Jesus, taking what's mine and making it known to you. It's not just any old truth. It's the truth about Jesus. And that's wonderful because what Jesus has is everything that the Father has in verse 15. So the truth about God and Jesus and, and how God is three persons and all, all, all of that is the truth about what the universe is like at the deepest level. The truth that God is a God of love, a God who has sent his Son and his Spirit to pour that love into our lives, to deal with our problem of sin, to give us a new, fresh relationship with him, uh, to remake a broken world. It's wonderful news of grace and love poured out in abundance. And that news is dependent upon who Jesus is. Because if Jesus isn't who he says he is, the whole thing doesn't make sense and wouldn't work. So when the Spirit brings God's truth into the hearts and lives of disciples, it fills those hearts and lives with the love of God. It helps us to see and know Jesus at a deeper, more personal, more real level. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to take that truth and put it in our minds, put it in our hearts, bring it on the inside so that we know it more deeply, so that it's amplified in our lives. Now, in the first instance, this is actually applied to the people who Jesus is with there and then. It's a promise, first of all, to be, for the apostles to be guided into all truth. Because they've got a special job to do. Uh, Last week we saw they had to witness and testify about Jesus to the world because they have been with Jesus from the beginning. So they have a special job to do in declaring God's truth. They they have to set the, the agenda, so to speak. They have to go out there and say, look, this is what God has revealed through Jesus. Uh, And that's both what they did in their preaching and then what they wrote down in what we call the New Testament. So it's a promise that the apostles will write down the truth about God clearly and accurately, and we have it in the New Testament. That's the the primary application of the Spirit leading them into all the truth. But there is a way in which it applies to us as well. Because if we read their words, if we listen to the apostles and reflect on what they've written, we too will come to understand more and more of the truth. Again, it's not a promise that the church will find some new truth over there, but the church will go deeper and more clearly into the truth Jesus revealed and the truth the apostles preached. And I think you can see that working its way out in church history, actually. 
It took the church a couple of hundred years debating the apostles' teaching, but then at the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century and the Council of Chalcedon in the 5th, they became clearer on exactly how God is three and one. They became clearer on exactly how Jesus is both God and man. The truth about Jesus deepened and was revealed more clearly, but only because they relied on and went back time and again to the source, the apostles' teaching that's written down for us in the Bible. Well, how do we land uh, this sermon? I think it's like this. The work of the Holy Spirit has been amplifying the message of the gospel, showing the world its error, showing the church God's truth. But if we take Jesus' words in verse 7, if we go back there to that image of the passage, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's better. I think the only way we can understand that is to say, if you're here in this room, do you realize you have more access to the truth It is ringing out clearly and more clearly and loudly in your ears. It is shining more brightly in your heart than it would have been even if Jesus had continued to walk around on earth for 2,000 years. If you're not a believer, you are clearer this morning on what Jesus says your error is than you would have been even if he was walking around because the Spirit is turning up the lights, cranking up the volume. And if you are a believer here today, you actually know more of Jesus. You know him at a deeper and more personal level because he lives in your heart by faith, by his spirit, than even if you walked around with him. I think that's the point Jesus is making. Because the spirit comes to the people who had walked around with him for three years, because the spirit's coming, you're going to know more about me. You're going to be clearer about who I am than even you have been these three years when I've been walking around with you. I think that's a truth for them. But I think equally it's a truth for us. We are in a more blessed position than even we would have been if we'd been able to walk around with Jesus physically. It is better. It is for our good. And what a blessing and what a wonderful life it is we have in Christ. Not just with Christ, but in Christ. We're going to sing a song in a moment. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Uh, And the song is going to talk about the gift of grace that Jesus is. But it's the gift that comes as the refrain repeats, through Christ in me. The gift we have as believers is so much brighter and better. Because we don't have Jesus simply with us, but in us by his spirit. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who amplifies and makes clearer and louder your your word, your work, your gospel. Shows us our errors. Shows the world its error about sin, righteousness, and judgment. and, And shows the church your truth about who Jesus is and how he he pays the price for sin. We pray reflecting on this would give us joy in our hearts today and lead us on into a week of loving and serving you. For Jesus' sake, amen.